Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of Bleacher Bunch Network, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show and Cup of Cubby Blue. The Bleacher Bunch Network is available wherever you find your podcasts, and Cubs PS Plus is always available ad-free to Patreon supporters at www.patreon.com slash Plus, where you can support the show and find a variety of benefits starting as low as a dollar a month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pod or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Welcome into episode 65, the Connor Menez episode of this podcast. Connor threw one scoreless inning for the Cubs in 2022. So this week, Jed did a thing. He signed a free agent. Shodan Minaga is now a Cub. The lefty will be part of the Cubs rotation. And we're heading into CubsCon, so something happened right on time. This week, let's talk about Shota Imanaga. Let's talk about the needs the Cubs still have remaining, where they sit with regard to the competitive balance tax. And it's CubsCon weekend. Let's go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. After weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting, Jed did something. And he did a good thing. I'm sure you've all heard the news by now, but the Cubs signed Shota Imanaga, pitcher out of Japan, lefty, um, to a four-year deal. We'll talk about the contract in a minute. It's, a, it's an interesting one. But, uh, yeah, Jed made a move. And I think the Cubs got better. One thing I've heard a lot this week is comparison to Marcus Stroman. I don't know how good Shota Imanaga will be. I think he has – I think he's likely to be a solid number three starter with number two starter potential. I don't know that he's going to be as good as Marcus Stroman, certainly not as good as Marcus Stroman was in the first half of last year. But remember, when we talk about replacing players – the Cubs are trying to improve on what they did in 2023. And so to add another starting pitcher, replacing Marcus Stroman helps and you want to get better. But we have to remember what Marcus Stroman actually contributed last year. So he was absolutely lights out through the middle of June. I mean, he was looking like starter, the all-star game, Cy Young favorite kind of performance. I mean, he was fantastic. Then he got the blister in London and struggled a little bit. I think he was pitching hurt for a while, really had just an awful month, and then really missed most of the last two months of the season. So when you look at replacing Marcus Stroman, you don't need to replace Marcus Stroman necessarily with Cy Young-level performance. You need to replace him with somebody who's going to be good, consistent, hopefully make 32 starts, and win some games for you. In that sense, I think the Cubs made a really good move here. So now I would say the rotation, we can all quibble on order, but the rotation at the moment looks like Justin Steele at the top, probably Jamison Tyone two, Shota Imanaga three, Kyle Hendricks four, and that leaves a fifth spot open for a battle for some of the younger guys. You know, Jordan Wicks might appear to have the inside track. Maybe Hayden Wisniewski comes back this year. I'm still not entirely sure he's done as a starter. Maybe he has a hot spring, wins that spot. Javier Assad is in the mix. Ben Brown, who has not made his debut yet, you know, eventually later this season, I think we'll see Kate Horton. So I think where they are right now leaves some space for the young kids to come up. Um, we'll talk more about that later too. But let's let's dive into Shota. 
So Shodai Minaga has an elite level fastball. You know, he's he's I've seen him referred to as a soft tossing lefty. That, that that's not really a, all that accurate. I mean, he he doesn't throw super hard. He's more in the ninety one to ninety four range, but his fastball has elite spin, and he gets. 20 inches of induced vertical break. And for those of you who aren't familiar, induced vertical break is basically no baseballs actually rise. You know, your pitchers are throwing the ball downhill, gravity's pulling the ball down. But if you get enough backspin on the ball, it helps the ball keep elevation into the hitter's eye. It looks like it's rising. It's not really rising. It's just not dropping as fast as the hitter's eye expects. And that 20 inches of induced vertical break is elite. And what that does is it keeps it up in the zone. Hitters are often under it. It also means that it basically plays like a faster fastball. So while he's throwing 92, 93, 94, it's playing more like 96, 97. So for a a lefty who doesn't throw super hard, that pitch is pretty elite. And he gets a lot of whiff on it. So a lot of swing and miss. The... His he throws that pitch, or at least in NPB, he threw that pitch about fifty four percent of the time. His secondary, his prime, his first secondary pitch—that's a weird way to say it—is um, his sweeper slider, and he threw that about sixteen percent of the time. And when you look at stuff plus, stuff plus is a measure of how good that pitch is for that pitcher, and it's because it's a plus, it's like WRC plus or OPS plus. It's based on one hundred is average. So his Stuff plus numbers in NPB, you know, that fastball rated as a 124 stuff plus, so 24% better than the average fastball. His sweeper slider is also excellent. It's a 130 stuff plus. And so those two play off each other really well, and I think that's going to translate. Um, his third pitch is a split. You know, he threw the split 12% of the time. It's it's about, a, it has a 99 stuff plus. So it's a, pretty average pitch but you know when you play it off the top level fastball and sweeper it's a good mix I think what's going to happen I think the Cubs are certainly going to use that fastball and that sweeper I mean those are very good pitches that should translate very well to major league baseball I think they're going to going to want to increase use of another pitch um, especially to help get righties out and so we'll see he he throws three other pitches Um, he's got a a cutter a curveball and a sinker that he all threw less than 10% of the time in NPB. My guess is the Cubs are going to pick one of those pitches, probably the cutter, and see if they can you know, help develop that pitch, make it a little bit stronger, and then get him to use it maybe more like you know, 12 to 15% of the time. So he really has a four-pitch mix. He can go to the curve or the sinker every once in a while as needed. Um, but what you get is you know, a, he's going to have a lot of fastballs at the top of the zone. So he, that's going to play up. He'll play the sweeper down. You know, he'll he'll use the cutter. Hopefully, is a cutter in the split to again change the batter's eye level. Um, he has a reputation for being a fly ball pitcher, and part of that is that fastball. You know, the fastball plays up. Guys are underneath it, and his numbers make him look home run prone. But when you look at the park he played in in Japan. You know, his home park was like 308 feet down the lines. So that's a bandbox of a ballpark. He's going to give up some home runs, no doubt. I mean, never mind, every pitcher does. But he will be a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher, which is a little bit of a deviation from what the Cubs often put out there. You know, ground ball pitchers with that great infield. Um, I don't think Shota's going to have a massive home run problem. I think 
I don't think Wrigley plays that small most of the time. He used to have the reputation for either extreme, you know, wind blowing in, hard to get anything out, or wind blowing out and everybody's hitting bombs. I think some of the video boards they've put up have cut that down in recent years, and and I think the park plays a little bit more neutral. Um, I'm excited. I, I think that's going to add some good swing and miss to the Cubs staff and be a bit of a change of pace, and it's a third lefty, potentially. You know, when you look at the rotation, if Wicks takes that fifth spot, you, know, you probably got Justin Steele is likely the number one. He's lefty. And then Shodan Managa is lefty and Jordan Wicks is lefty. And so that's going to be a nice little trio. You've got, you know, Drew Smiley is probably coming out of the bullpen, but he can spot start as needed. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot to like there. And I think what's even more to like is the contract. There was talk during the offseason that maybe he was looking at a $100 million deal, something like, you know, 5100, 5110. Um, in line with what teams are paying for pitching today, that would have seemed to be right on market. Maybe a touch above, but I know there's, I've seen too many complaints about him being 30. You know, most, I know he hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet, so there will be an adjustment period, but, you know, Kodai Sango worked out okay. And, and Japanese pitchers, in recent years have translated over pretty well. Um, but at 30, you know, that's not some old pitcher. You know, when you look around the league, most guys, when they hit free agency for the first time for their, you know, if they're good enough to get a big contract, they're between like 29 and 32, occasionally 28 kind of depends on when they come in. So, you know, kind of a typical path would be if you, if a player gets drafted out of high school, you're going to spend three, four five years in the minor leagues fighting through, low A, high A, double A, whatever, unless you're, you know, a real top prospect and flying through the system. You know, so you're going to make your debut at 23, 24, you know, get in the rotation, pitch a year or two, you know, teams have six years of control over guys. So, you know, to hit free agency, especially as a starting pitcher before age 28, 29, 30, you have to be up and starting early. You know, those are guys who are, top-level prospects who are coming up at, you know, 2021, like Kerry Wood did it back in the day, and, you know, Mark Pryor came up really young for a, a college pitcher, um, came up fast. But, you know, 30 is a pretty typical free agent age. And when you look at the way pitchers pitch in Japan, they're typically on a six-man rotation, and they have a shorter season. So Shota's going to have a little bit less mileage on that arm than a 30-year-old pitcher who's been starting in the States for five or six years. So I'm not that worried about his age, but certainly when you look at the contract, so the contract is a little bit unusual, but I'll talk through why I don't think that even matters. Um, the Cubs signed him to a four-year, $53 million deal, which would put the average annual value a little over $13 million per year for purposes of the, of the competitive balance tax. What makes that deal unique is after year two, the Cubs have the opportunity, they have an, a club option on a fifth year, which would take the contract up to five years, $80 million. And after year two, the Cubs have that choice. If the Cubs decide to take that option, then it becomes a five-year, $80 million contract with no opt-outs for Shota. He does not have a no-trade clause, and that will be the deal. If the Cubs do not pick up that fifth-year option after year two, Shota has the opportunity to opt for free agency, so he's an opt-out of his contract. If neither party takes the option, if the Cubs don't extend to the fifth year and, and Shota does not opt for free agency, then it remains a four-year contract for $53 million. 
after year three, they go through that process again. So the Cubs have another shot to add the fifth year. And if the Cubs don't add the fifth year, then Shota can again opt out for free agency. Again, if, if nobody does it, then it's a four-year contract. He'll play year four, finish out the deal at four years, $53 million, and then proceed on to whatever comes next. It makes it interesting because I think if, you know, that price is nothing. Even if you, if the Cubs signed him today to five years, $80 million, you know, that's $16 million a year average annual value. That's what they're paying Jamison Tyone. That's pretty much standard rates right now for a, three and probably even some number four starting pitchers like starting pitching is getting more and more expensive so that is not an unreasonable deal at all so if if Shota shows frankly anything probably in the first two years the Cubs are almost certainly going to pick up that fifth year and if he comes over and really struggles has two bad seasons or he's injury plagued and you know can't stay on the mound or something like that to where the Cubs wouldn't want to pick up that fifth year he's probably not in a position to opt out for free for free agency anyway. So on the whole, I think basically he's either going to come over and be a good pitcher, which I think he will, and the Cubs will almost undoubtedly pick up that fifth-year option. Um, or if he struggles and is, is a free agent miss, then you know it'll be the four years and, and the Cubs will move him on. But that that money, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 million dollars per year. That's not money that's going to be an albatross. That's not going to keep the Cubs from spending in other places. Um, so I love this deal. I think it's an absolute steal from Jed. I think it's a sign that, you know, we know Jed is methodical. We know Jed is looking for value. He talks about intelligent spending, and and this is a really strong value play. He's a, a really good pitcher in, in Japan who I think can translate to certainly being a good pitcher here, potentially a very good pitcher here. And the Cubs got him on a steal. There's a report out there. I don't know for sure. I know Boston was interested. Um, there was a report out there that some team had offered him twice as much money, but he really wanted to be a, a Cub, and so that's how it worked out. And I don't know. Never saw details on that other offer. It might not even be true. But that could could mean he turned down a much higher AAV or maybe more in, in terms of total dollars, maybe a little higher AAV but more years. Um, but in any case, it seems like, Shota Imanaga wanted to be a Cub, and the Cubs liked him a lot. We heard talk about him being tied to the Cubs even last summer, and apparently he's been in Chicago since Christmas, so he must like the cold, and it's coming this weekend. But the timing on this is great. I mean, the huge blizzard rolling in this weekend, so we'll see what that does to crowds, but uh, Jed got his signing before before CubsCon. I'm going to be making my first trip out to CubsCon, so you know I'm really looking forward to it. Showed it past his physical. The contract is official, and he'll be introduced Friday, I believe, at Cubs at the Cubs convention. So it'll be fun. I'll, I'll be there, and very interested to see where this goes, um, and where where the Cubs go next. I think I still think Cody Bellinger is the next big target, and when you look at what they need and what they have to spend, before they signed Imanaga, the Cubs were f- about fifty one million dollars under the first threshold of the competitive balance tax. Um, I don't know exactly yet what Shota's tax hit's going to be. I've never seen a team have a club option that didn't also come with a buyout if they don't exercise it. So I have to assume that there's probably a buyout tied to that fifth year, but I haven't seen it. It's not up on spot track. I've not seen it uh, reported anywhere. Um, I would guess, you know, it's not going to be a massive given the contract he has, but it, it could be 
five million dollars, potentially ten, probably not ten. That's pretty high. Probably more like five, five range. Um, but for uh, average annual value purposes for the competitive balance tax, the buyout gets added to the total value of the contract. So you know, if it's a five million dollar buyout, the four years fifty three million dollars becomes a four year fifty eight million dollar guarantee, and then that would you'd do the math on that, and that would be the average annual value. But I expect that uh, Imanaga's AAV for CBT purposes is going to come in between fourteen and sixteen million dollars. So let's let's call it fifteen million. So the Cubs had fifty-one million to spend before that deal. Take away about fifteen-ish, and now you're at like thirty-five, thirty-six million dollars left before the Cubs even hit the first threshold of the tax. And the Cubs still have needs, so I think Cody Bellinger is the next obvious need. The Cubs need a big lefty bat. He's even coming into free agency, he was the second best bat available on the market behind Shohei Otani. And so I think he's he makes so much sense. I think he really liked being in Chicago last year. The Cubs liked having him around. I know they got Scott Boris as an agent, which I talked about last week, but you know, I mean the Cubs Cubs can deal with Scott Boris. It just has to play out. It's gonna take its time. I would not be at all surprised if uh Cody is signed soon. I wouldn't even be shocked if he signed before Cubs convention. Although here it is Thursday morning and I'm recording and no announcement yet. So that might be pushing it. Um, after that, I think the Cubs need another bat and I think they need a power bat. The Cubs, one thing the Cubs, we talked about all year, the Cubs needed more power. And one of the best guys on the market is Reese Hoskins and missed all of last year after getting an ACL repair. I think he heard it last spring training, but he missed the entire 2023 season. So there is some injury risk with him coming back, but guys have had good track records coming back from ACL, and, and he's not a he's not a guy who's reliant on speed or play a premium defensive position like center field. So, you know, Kyle Schwarber had that surgery, and he was younger than Reese is now, but you know he had the surgery and came back fine. And I I'm pretty confident that Reese Hoskins is going to come back and continue to be a really good hitter. He's been a good hitter, a lot of power, and I think he's makes a ton of sense. Some people have said that, you know he makes almost as much sense as any player to any team this off season. I don't think he's going to be expensive. Um, I don't know what he wants. There are rumors out there that the Cubs have talked with Hoskins and Boris about one year deal, multiple year deals. Um, I'd be fine to sign him for one year for three years, but whatever it is he's looking for, you know, in some cases like Cody Bellinger last year explicitly wanted a one year contract. You give me a one year contract. I'll go prove that I can play and then hit free agency. Reese might want that. Or he might want to take a, you know, he's he's, you know, in his thirties, so he might want to take a three four year deal if that's available. I'd be good either way. I love the Bellinger and Hoskins pairing because the Cubs have holes, and I think the, the Cubs' most obvious holes are third base, center field, first base, and then what they do with DH. I would love to see Christopher Morrell get run at third base. That's why I'm I'm not a huge proponent of the Cubs signing Matt Chapman. I'm certainly not a proponent of signing Matt Chapman for five years. I think that's he's just not good enough to warrant locking up the position that long. The Cubs have Christopher Morrell, who could potentially play third base this year. They have guys coming up through the system in the infield that may well push for time very soon. So if they get Matt Chapman, I don't hate Matt Chapman as a player. He's a really good defensive third baseman. And as a hitter, he's probably profiles about like Dansby Swanson. You know, he's going to be a decent hitter, strike out a little bit, have some pop, maybe, you know, 20, 25 home runs. 
maybe in a peak year, maybe he gets up to 30. I mean, he could make this team better in 2023. So if the if the Cubs sign him with with one of those Jed Magic deals where they get him to sign for two or three years, then I'm good with Matt Chapman. I still don't like his offensive profile as much as Reese Hoskins. And I think Reese is a better fit for what this lineup needs. But, you know, I, I could live with Matt Chapman for a couple years. He's not good enough to fill up an infield position for the next five, though. I mean, the Cubs have Matt Shaw rising fast, James Triantos. And there may be some question about whether those guys play third base, Christopher Morrell, too. But the Cubs are going to have options. You know, first of all, I'm a big believer if you can play short, you can play third. Um, Nico Horner could also play any infield position. So if you've got a guy who's pushing hard enough for playing time and you got to make something work, like the Cubs have a ton of options. Dansby could move to third and Nico to second. Nico could move or to short and Nico could move to third. Um, maybe Matt Shaw or James Triantos plays third. You know, so many options, but I, you know, we're not talking about. Manny Machado or Nolan Arenado here. Like Matt Chapman's good, but he's not that good. If he was on that level, forget about the prospects. Just sign the guy and we'll worry about the prospects later. But I don't think Matt Chapman fits quite as well as some of those guys. So I would prefer to see Hoskins, um, Bellinger and Hoskins as the two big bat ads. Um, another option might be JD Martinez. You know, he's getting older. He's probably looking at primarily DH, but he um, can still hit. Brandon Belt's another one. There are some bench guys that I think could make a lot of sense in a part-time role coming off the bench kind of bat. Um, but I really like the Bellinger-Hoskins pairing because of where the Cubs have holes. So if, if the Cubs sign those two guys, it gives Morell a chance to get extended run at third base. And I'm not talking like a month. Like I think he should get a good solid half a season unless he is an absolute train wreck defensively at third base. I think Christopher Morell is going to hit. He's going to hit for power. I think the Cubs want to have him in the lineup all the time. And he's athletic enough, has a really strong arm, and there's really no reason to just force him into DH already. Um, I really want to see him get some run at third base. And then center field and first base are two positions where the Cubs may have players ready now. You know, there'll be debate about whether Pete Crow Armstrong can win the center field job out of spring training or maybe... Alexander Canario can win that job out of spring training until PCA is ready. They also have Matt Mervis, who continues to just mash baseballs in AAA and has not really gotten a good long run at first base for the Cubs. You know, so I could see a real hedge, like go to spring training, let Canario, Crow Armstrong, and Mervis compete for jobs. And whoever tears it up, you know, Bellinger can play in either slot. Reese Hoskins can play first base or he can DH. So there are just a bunch of options there. And you know, if, if Mervis isn't ready and Pete Crow Armstrong and Canario are, it gives you flexibility. You can put somebody at DH. You can put PCA in center. Bellinger could play first. Reese Hoskins could play first. I think it just gives you the Cubs a lot of hedges where those kids are. But actual hedges, not like last year when, you know, ideally the Cubs would have signed either Hosmer or Mancini as a hedge in case Mervis was not ready. Instead, they signed them both, which blocked Mervis. And then Mervis came up, got a shot, got sent down, and then Bellinger got hurt and just had to play first base. So, you know, never really came back. I think with one guy there who has some flexibility, I think it's it's good to have that option. You know, Mervis doesn't necessarily have to be up all season unless his hitting warrants it. But the idea that, you know, he's just going to spend another year in AAA 
We talked about this a little bit last week. That's just wasted cycles. You know, at some point, his status as a prospect was already a little bit lower to start with anyway because he doesn't play a premium position. He might project as a DH in the majors. But the dude hits for power, and so let's take advantage of it. Let's see if he can play in the major leagues or trade him. You know, so there are options there. I think the next need, the Cubs need a couple relief pitchers. I know there's a lot of talk about Josh Hader, and hey, I'm I'm never going to say no to Josh Hader if the Cubs actually make that deal. But I think Hader's going to get something probably close to what Edwin Diaz got last year with the Mets. He got like five five years, $100 million, so something like in the 20-ish range per year. Um, it's a lot for a closer. The Cubs don't have that as an explicit need at this point. They've got Edward Alzali, who, you know, pitched well in the closer role last year. Um, certainly, you know, if they get Hater, Hater would take that spot over. That's fine. But what the Cubs really need is just more depth. You know, so right now the Cubs have Alzali. They've got Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr., assuming he's got a split back. Um, Jose Quas, Daniel Palencia, Luke Little. Yeah, they, they've got options in the bullpen, but they need to get about two more good, solid arms, you know, to replace Michael Fulmer and just make that bullpen deeper. Um, I'd like to see guys like Robert Stevenson, who's pitched for the Rays, um, Brent Suter, not Brent Suter, um, Suter from the from the Rockies, uh, left-hander. He's good. There are a bunch of other guys out there that would be options. The Cubs just need a couple more guys who can take some of those leverage innings and take some of the pressure off be- so that you're not relying on, you know, three, four guys the entire year to get all the key outs. Um, after that, you know, it's, it's really depth plays. Jed can look around, maybe he makes a trade. You know, maybe it's still possible they trade for Shane Bieber. Um, I've heard rumors off and on about Jesus Luzardo from the Marlins, um, maybe dealing for Randy Rosarena from, you know, Tampa. I'm not sure all those guys fit, but, you know, I think Jed should continue to look and see where a trade might make sense. Um, one guy who's really interesting to me wouldn't really help at all for this year is Brandon Woodruff. So he got hurt last year with the Brewers. He's been a top starting pitcher for them for a while. And he's going to miss probably all of 2024, certainly most of it. I would love to see the Cubs sign him on a two-year deal, pretty cheap, let him rehab and get back to health this year. And then they'd have him for the rotation in 2025. I think he could be a really, really strong pickup with not a lot of risk. I mean, the Cubs have done that in the past. They did that with Drew Smiley um, back in 20. Right? They picked him up in 2018. We're hoping to have him in 2019, but they wound up trading him away. Um, they've done that with some other guys. They did that with Ryan Dempster back in the day. You know, got him coming off Tommy John, and and then he wound up pitching for them for years. So I think you can look around for moves like that, maybe another low-level starting pitcher. When you look at starting pitcher, I talk about this a lot, you need to have ideally like nine or ten guys who you could trust to start a few games for you. Obviously, the Cubs aren't going to run a 10-man rotation. <clears throat> but you want to have that depth, and we've seen it. You know, Steele missed a couple starts last year. Stroman missed a couple months. You know, Drew Smiley was in and out of the rotation. Kyle Hendricks missed the first month. And you know, with the guys they have right now, Kyle Hendricks is not getting any younger. I mean, I have no reason to think he's not going to have a fine season this year. But the idea that, you know, he's locked in and is going to make 32 starts, you know, it's very much in doubt. Um, The Cubs right now would have, as we walked through it before, Steele, Tyone, Imanaga, Hendricks, and then, you know, Wicks, Brown, Assad, Wesneski, 
Drew Smiley could potentially start games as needed. I, Drew Smiley can't be a full time starting pitcher. He just he's he really can't effectively go past a hundred innings. But he can still be very valuable as a swingman, long guy out of the bullpen, make a spot start if a guy's going to miss a start. That's fine. Um, I think Cade Horton probably makes his debut in 2024, assuming he stays healthy and, and gets off to a good start in the minor leagues. I mean, that that's 10 guys right there. And there are some other guys in the Cubs system that, you know, could potentially make a leap this year. Um, still wouldn't be surprised if they added one more piece. Um, maybe maybe they want Wesneski to be in the back end of that bullpen. You know, maybe they certainly it would be ideal to not have Drew Smiley start games. You, they may want Assad in the bullpen. But you can't have enough pitching. So I think that's going to be something else to look for. But, you know, hey, I'm just thrilled that the Cubs did something this week. And now it's Cubs convention. And uh, I'm really looking forward to going out there. If you're going out there, stay safe with all the nasty weather. I'm flying out Thursday and work the day job from the hotel on Friday and probably get to the hotel and not step outside again until I catch my flight back on Sunday. Um, but Hey, if you're around, you see me say hi. Um, thrilled to have you guys as listeners. And I think it's going to be a really fun weekend. So have a great time if you're going. And if you're not tune in on marquee, there are going to be some interesting sessions. You get to see Imanaga for the first time. Maybe they'll sign somebody else during the convention. Like they did Mancini last year. That could be a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, I'm getting really optimistic for Cubs baseball, and I think the Cubs are finally going to be really active in the, over the next few weeks. They they have moves to make. I think Jed wants to spend um, maybe not massive amounts. I don't know what the target is. I, w- I would be surprised if the Cubs do not go over the first threshold of the CBT, um, but they've they've got still got money and runway left before they do so, so certainly more to come. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPSPlus. And check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash CubsPSPlus to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!